News, notes, and Zola next on Baseball HQ Radio. Bonds one home run away from history. And he swings, and there's a long one deep in the right center field. Way back there, it's gone! A home run! Into the center field bleachers to the left of the 421-foot marker. An extraordinary shot to the deepest part of the yard. And Barry Bonds with 756 home runs. He has hit more home runs than anyone who has ever played the game. Learn to play the winner's way. Because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, May the 2nd. It's show number 30 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we do have another great show for you with our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols and from the American League with Jock Thompson. And of course, we'll have our weekly Talk with Todd, featuring Todd Zola discussing April how dead you are if you're not in the top five on May 1st, and what it means to be a fantasy baseball expert. In our regular Friday matchups analysis, Greg Fishwick looks at Dallas Kuchel of the Astros at home to Hisashi Iwakuma and the Mariners, and Cole Hamels of the Phillies hosting Gio Gonzalez and the Nationals, and more. And in Master Notes, I'll be taking a turn in the rotation talking about body types and injuries. It's another big Friday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Friday News and Notes edition, it's our League Watch News reports. Jock Thompson is on deck with players from the American League. And leading off, it's our National League report and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks a lot, Patrick. It's always good to be here. And it's great to have you. Uh, Dan Becker's Batting Buyer's Guide column this week at BaseballHQ.com looks at stolen base surgers. And this is batters who are emerging as legitimate speed guys who might even be able to help you move your team in the bags category if that seems to be something that you're looking for. Some interesting National League names on the list. Uh, I saw Christian Yelich and Chris Denorfia really got me interested. But the guy we want to look at, is thought of more as a power guy, Atlanta outfielder Jason Hayward. Yeah, Jason Hayward. You know, Jason Hayward has been one of those really frustrating guys to owners. There are times when he's looked like he's ready to break out and have a and be absolutely great. He's off to a slow start so far this year, the two oh six batting average and a couple of home runs and actually four stolen bases. And you know what what it begins to look at is is that Jason Hayward is leading off for Atlanta. Um he's got a uh, he's got a decent walk rate. A 10% walk rate, so he's able to get on base. If he can get that batting average up a little bit, he's got a, a poor hit rate right now, and that's holding the BA down. But he can see some stolen bases this uh, uh, during the course of the year. A 19% SBO right at the moment. That could even go higher in the leadoff spot. So Jason Hayward is someone you might want to look at not only for his power, but also in terms of stolen bases. BaseballHQ.com is projecting Jason Hayward for about 18 bucks worth of production the rest of the way, which isn't bad. And especially given his sluggish start, it might be a time to make a bid on him as a buy-low candidate. And he's looking at 11 bags as a projection and a batting average around 260, which is still a bit low for a star guy. But batting averages are down across baseball, so maybe it's not quite as bad as it might have been a few years ago. 
Yeah, that's possible. And, you know, and, and I think our projection on stolen bases may be a little bit low. If he's got four already in April, then he might do better than 11 the rest of the way. And that's what Dan Becker was kind of suggesting, is that uh, there may be some uh, some hidden uh, upside in terms of, uh, of Hayward's speed. Yeah, if he holds everything else pretty much according to expectations, then a, a stolen base increase to even 20 or so, which is not out of the realm of possibility, could make him a really nice guy to get as a buy-low candidate. Uh, Stephen Nickran's starting pitcher buyer's guide column this week looks at a bunch of early surprises, and one of the names on Stephen's list staying in uh, Atlanta, the Braves' Alex Wood. Yeah, Alex Wood is... Um uh, Alex Wood has, is off to a really good start for the season, notwithstanding a, a kind of a bad uh, outing this particular week. But Alex Wood looked very good late last year, coming up to the Braves at 3.13 ERA and uh, in 78 innings pitched. Off to a 2.93 ERA start this year in his first uh, his first six starts. Uh, and and what's nice is he's got the skills to go with that. An 8.3 DOM, 4.6 command, uh, pitching very very well, uh, 47% ground ball rate all winding up to give him 126 BPV. So Alex Wood looks like he's for real. Um, and and that that uh, XERA, a 3.05 XERA, confirms that that 2.93 ERA really is something that's uh, uh, that's real for Alex Wood. So uh, a, a guy to get, I think, if, if you, you may have trouble getting him right now because he was kind of a hot name coming into the season and uh, certainly is off to a good start. But treat that start as something that could continue. Uh, on into the rest of the year. All that said, Nick, the projection at BaseballHQ.com is not fantastic. Looking at $12 or so on eight wins, a 335 ERA, a little bit above where he is now, and a 120 whip, but 129 strikeouts, that looks really nice. It does, and I think maybe the, the HQ projection is a little low based on the number of starts that we've got him projected for. Um, it, it could be that he's not, uh, that he actually gets more starts than we're than we're looking at. Uh, and, and so that could make a difference, and certainly he may do better than winning eight games, although only two wins so far in uh, uh, this month in, in April because the, uh, the Braves' offense was a bit sluggish. A bit sluggish might be understating the case a little bit. The Braves have been struggling, and if they turn it around, they're a real good organization. That's something else we've talked about here on the show, Nick, is if all else fails, always keep in mind that a player plays for a team and how the team is managed has a great deal to do with how successful they are. The Braves, the Cardinals, the Rays, Boston, uh, there are there are teams out there that are very well run, and they tend to turn things around even in bad situations. So another reason to like Alex Wood. Uh, Stephen also mentioned Pittsburgh right-hander Edenson Volquez, who looks like a Cy Young candidate so far this year. Uh, ERA just over two, uh, whip just under one, and uh, Market Pulse column at BaseballHQ.com also looked at Edenson Volquez. And what I'm wondering is, did they like what they saw? No, they really didn't. I mean, Edenson Volquez at this point is off to a great start. He had kind of a rough week. I mean, his start this week produced a 9.53 ERA, uh, and we see him falling back to earth, and maybe that's the beginning. The problem is his skills don't back up what he's done so far. 4.8 dom rate is not is not good at all. Uh, control has been excellent, 1.6 control, but his um, he, he's, he has never posted a control below four in any major league season. So maybe he's found something. Maybe he's just been a lot lucky in getting the ball over the plate this month. But uh, you've got to be very skeptical uh, with the, that kind of control history for Edenson Volquez that the control, which has kind of kept him in it this month, is going to go up. And when that happens, uh, the dom rate is uh, is so low 
that there are real problems there. Volquez does indeed look like an unexploded grenade when you look at the HQ projections. His player link profile says 465 ERA, 143 whip the balance of the year, around minus $12. So boy, if there ever was a sell-high candidate, Edenson Volquez might just be it, provided you can find somebody who just looks at today's stats and makes their decisions that way. And finally, Nick, it seems like we've spent half our time this season so far talking about the Cubs bullpen situation. And now Doug Dennis, our bullpen buyer's guide call, columnist has a new contender to consider. His leverage index column says we should be taking a look at Hector Rondon. Yeah, you know, and, and the, th- the thing to look at with Hector Rondon is that uh, he seems to have gotten trusted in the ninth inning over his last couple of outings. And, uh, you know, he was simply one of those candidates in Doug's column that uh, was in a mix with a bunch of other folks. But let's look at what we've got here. Last Sunday night, uh, Rondon pitched uh, in the ninth with a four-run lead was brought in in the ninth to preserve that lead, struck out the side. Uh, certainly the kind of thing a manager a manager likes to see. Um, he, he has only gotten one other opportunity this week, again, in a non-safe situation. Cubs had too big a lead, but brought in in the ninth, gave up one hit, uh, but otherwise had a, had a clean outing and did not allow any runs to score. And if you look at the... At the um, you look at Hector Rondon's numbers so far, they're really very good. A 0.68 ERA, 15 strikeouts in 13 innings, uh, 3.8 command, 53% ground ball rate, all working out to a 140 BPV. So, so far, Rondon is pitching very, very well. And given the mess that is the Cubs bullpen at the moment, that may be enough to get him a few ninth inning opportunities. And some success in those opportunities could lead to, to, uh, to some saves uh, over the course of the next few weeks. So certainly someone to look at. He's probably available in almost every league. And if you're uh, if you're desperate for saves, probably Rondon is pitching well enough right now. He's not going to hurt you and might actually get you a few saves in the bargain. Also might not be a bad guy to grab if your league allows you to stash guys away on reserve without having to have them active. Uh, I'm wondering, you mentioned that he's got a lot of strikeouts, but it sounded like that control ratio might be a little high because the command wasn't that great. Is Is he having any trouble with the walks? Not not right now. Control ratio is 2.7, uh, Dom 10.1, so that, that gives you that uh, 3.8 command ratio. So, so so far, he's, he's kept things, his control has been pretty good, and we're not projecting that much of a rise in control. A uh, projected balance in, in terms of control is 3.9 over the rest of the season. Uh, what we are suspecting is that that, that Dom may come down a bit, uh, and if it does, then there's going to be more more problem for him. But right now, he's getting the strikeouts, and if he can, can maintain that, and also getting the ground balls. If he can maintain that for a while, then he's got a chance to uh, to do some things for the Cubs and, and also for your roster. Justin Grimm has been getting higher leverage opportunities in the Cubs bullpen. And of course, they also have Pedro Strope, who has some pretty good skills, but hasn't been really sharp this season. Uh, Nick, this is just a mess, and it's always going to be interesting to keep looking at it. By the way, uh, Doug Dennis has a new column up at BaseballHQ.com looking at relievers by their earned run averages, their expected earned run average, and their projected expected earned run average. So it's a lot of numbers if you like the numbers at BaseballHQ.com. Nick, before I let you go, I know there was a clinic recently at Turner Field and a potential star that we might want to stash away on our reserves in deep leagues. It is indeed a guy named Danny Weiser, who happens to be my grandson, uh, playing in a clinic this weekend at Turner Field. And, you know, this is one of those things that Major League Clubs do for uh, uh, for youngsters is, is do a clinic on the field. And uh, certainly uh, he's excited. Uh, and uh, just a, a shout out to Danny, but a shout out to Major League Baseball for uh, getting uh, getting our kids involved in that way in the game. All right, Nick, well said. Thanks for doing this. We're going to uh, talk to you again in a week's time. All right. Thank you, Patrick. 
Harold Nichols is our man on the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's turn to the American League and our BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, it's Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to the show. Hi PD, good to be here. In Monday's Starting Pitchers Buyer's Guide column, Stephen Nickrand, our fine columnist who covers starting pitchers so well, wrote that he's uh, very enthusiastic about the Toronto Blue Jays starter Drew Hutchison. Why is that? Well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, of Hutchison as well, um, and um, I've, I've watched a lot of his games. I was an early adopter based on his spring training performance. Uh, he, he had had a good pedigree prior to his Tommy John surgery a couple years ago, and according to scouts, uh, his performance and velocity were back. His his strikeouts to walk in spring were good. Um, and the only thing really limiting him right now seems to be uh, a, a, a hit rate, a 37% hit rate. Uh, and it's produced, a uh, like Stephen uh, notes, a, a mediocre 1.38 whip. Um, he's striking out almost 12 hitters a game. He's the kind of pitcher, I think, that after he gets a full major league season behind him and learns to better control his pitch counts, he's going to be even better next year. Right now, I think you have to worry a little bit about his stamina. Um, he hasn't pitched in a while. He, he may fade down the stretch, but uh, both Stephen and I like uh, Drew Hutchison. Yeah, those guys coming back from Tommy John, if they've done their uh, rehab right, it, it, if they are pitchers who had good skills and good potential before Tommy John surgery, then they are definitely worth looking at after Tommy John surgery, and I think that's a lesson it pays us to heed. Uh, Stephen Nickrand, also in that same column, wrote about Jesse Chavez of the Oakland A's. Uh, Dave Adler also covered Chavez in Wednesday's Fact and Flukes column. He had a, a bit of a dud against Houston, but he really looked great against Texas. What do you think about Jesse Chavez? Is he for real? Yeah, I think he is uh, up to a point. Um, I actually touched on Chavez also in my last uh, AL West Playing Time Tomorrow column that that covered Oakland's suddenly non-existent rotation depth following the surgery announcement of A.J. Griffin. Um, Chavez has great BPIs. Uh, he's very impressive to watch in person. Um, he has really upped his command and his control. He, he is just painting right now. He's not walking nearly as many hitters as he used to as a reliever. The real big question that we have about Chavez, both uh, Stephen and I, and I think Dave Adler as well, is his ability to hold up all year. Remember, this is a guy who has only thrown 136 innings uh, maximum in his professional career. He's already thrown 38 in April. So don't assume you're going to get the same results in July as you're, as, as you're getting right now. Um, you can almost bet that he's going to fade or the bottom may even fall out in the second half. Um, he, he's a lesson in it, it's a long season. You got to keep looking for pitching. The A's are really good at finding pitching and keeping track of it in their minor league system and they, they do well at, at coaching and that kind of thing. My issue would be, if he's a really good, solid pitcher, why hasn't he been in the Major League sooner? He's no spring chicken. Well, I think one of the things you hear about Chavez that a lot of people have reported on their websites and in columns is that he has really improved his arsenal. It, it has broadened out. He's adjusted his pitches. Um, I'm, I'm not... Uh, somebody who, 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 who thinks that a pitcher can't improve. And this was a guy also who, who showed signs and he had injury problems too. I believe he had either shoulder or, or shoulder surgery or Tommy John surgery. This is a guy who remade himself. He also bounced around uh, a few different organizations drafted by Texas, uh, moved back and forth from the Rangers to the Pirates a few times, Kansas City, Toronto, finally Oakland. And, uh, when that many organizations are are not that keen on you, it, it seems to be a bit of a red flag. But on the other hand, 
if you end up in Oakland, they're really good at spotting guys who, who can help. Yeah, you're right. They uh, they seem to be getting the best out of everybody. Don't forget, uh, Scott Casimir also uh, bounced around after uh, discovering initial success in Tampa Bay. He faded. He had some injury issues. He had some mechanical issues. The Angels couldn't do anything with him. He was out of baseball for a couple of years, and now all of a sudden he's in Oakland and pitching just fine. Uh, the other cautionary note for his career in the minors, a 138 whip, which is kind of uh, a little bit <laughs> nerve-wracking and a 4.15 ERA at, across all levels, also not that promising. I, I don't know that I'd be hugely confident in Jesse Chavez, especially as you say in the long term. I talked about him with Lore Michaels, who lives, as you know, in the Bay Area, and he very, he is very enthusiastic about Jerry, Jesse Chavez. So I guess that's something. Uh, if Lore likes him, and Lore's a pretty sharp guy, so maybe there's something there. I, I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, Carlos Carrasco of C- Cleveland was also mentioned in. In the um, Stephen Nickrand's column, but uh, also in Wednesday's Playing Time Tomorrow, Bob Berger noted that Carrasco has been moved to the bullpen after four really shaky starts. Is it time for uh, fantasy owners to follow suit and get Carrasco out of there? Uh, yeah, if you're looking for instant results, uh, he's going to be in mop-up for now. In fact, I, I saw him in his first relief pit uh, appearance uh, against the Angels the other day. They brought him in with runners on first and third, and he got the, he got Howie Kendrick to ground out. He then gave up a double to Mike Trout that was almost a home run. And this really speaks to the heart of Carrasco's problems, I think, because I've noticed and I've watched him pitch a lot this year. I, to uh, full disclosure, I'm a Carrasco owner. Um, pitching with runners on base, he has a 9.69 OPS. When runners aren't on base with the bases empty, 6.4 or 6.47 OPS. He will sail along for a few innings, a couple of innings, inning and two-thirds, and as long as no one's on base, he's fine. As soon as that first base runner gets on, he gives it up. Um, um, I like Carlos Carrasco. I think he has great stuff. I think he's going to get another starting shot at some point. There may be a method to Cleveland's madness here. Maybe they're going to bring him in uh, at mop-up and uh, try to get him to see if he can pitch with runners on base and prove that. Um, right now, he's not going to be worth much, but I, I would bet the house that he gets another starting shot down the road. That kind of split that you mentioned, uh, runners on base versus bases empty, that is pitching from the stretch versus pitching from the windup, that's a very important consideration when you're looking at any kind of pitcher. And the one good thing about it, if there's a good thing about an inability to get guys out when runners are on, is that it's something that can be coached. There's there there can be some improvements made through the coaching process. Uh, boy, I don't know, though. It, it seems like Carrasco's been around long enough that if, he, if it was coachable, it, had, it would have been coached by now. Yeah, well, what's interesting, if you look at his BPIs, PD, they're just they're every bit as good as Danny Salazar's right now. Everyone thinks that Danny Salazar is eventually going to break through and succeed, but pretty much everybody's writing Carlos Carrasco off. And if, and if you look at the stats... Carrasco throws more ground balls than Stalazar does. His control is a little bit better. Um, you may be right. Maybe there's something there that's not coachable in his head. But uh, when you see underlying stats like that, I still gotta still gotta keep my eye on him. In Wednesday and Friday's playing time today columns, Matt Dodge was looking at Manny Machado. He's back from the DL. They've optioned Steve Lombardozzi back to. Uh, the minor leagues. So now we have a situation where we've got Machado, Scope, and Flaherty all dangling for playing time in the infield, assuming J.J. Hardy's a lock. So how's that all going to shake out? Well, Machado's obviously going to play third base. I mean, he's the future. He's he's living off raw, raw athleticism right now. 
His numbers weren't great last year in his first full major league uh, season after a hot start. But again, he has a pedigree. It reminds me a little of Devin Masarocco entering this season. If you look at the numbers, you go, eh. But if you look at the pedigree and his background and what everyone says, I mean, he's he's 21 years old. He's going to succeed at some point. Um, the real questions, like you mentioned, is are, are where, where Scope and uh, Flaherty go from here. Scope is a little like Machado. He has a great future. He's, he's flashed some power in Camden Yards. But, um, but if you look at his, the, the rest of his BPIs, um, this is a guy with a, with a, <laughs> it's, it's early, but he has a, a 1% uh, walk rate. His contact rate is below 70%. Uh, um, his expected batting average is 227. I wouldn't be surprised to see Scope head for the minors at some point. I think he's going to get most of the time at second base for now, but he needs more experience. Flaherty I used to be really high on, but uh, he's really struggling offensively right now. He used to have good power potential. It's been missing in action so far this season. I think the Orioles are keeping him around for his defensive versatility. So I think this is a fairly fluid situation. Is Flaherty worth having? Uh, not the way he's hitting right now. If you look at his uh, his BPIs, there's just nothing to recommend. Uh, last year, if, if you if you look at his expected uh, power index, um, it was it was well above average. Um, he's always hit a few home runs. He doesn't have any home runs this year. I don't know where the power went to. I mean, it's a small sample size, uh, um, and obviously his versatility, his position, uh, his positional versatility makes him worth watching, but uh, right now he's not helping anyone. And finally, Jock, in your own Playing Time Today column recently, you noted that Grant Green, a uh, one-time Oakland top prospect, moved around a little. He's now with the Angels on the big league roster. They demoted relief pitcher Joslyn Herrera. Uh, he had been in the outfield. He's an infielder by trade. Do you think he can get any playing time with the Angels? And if he does, can he do anything with it? Well, you know, when, when Green was with Oakland back in 2011 and 2012, and they were looking for a position for him, they actually had him playing center field for about a season and a half in the minors. And obviously they weren't impressed because they moved him back to the infield. Uh, Green has always had defensive issues no matter where he goes. Uh, last year I watched him play here in uh, Southern California, and he looked awkward. On the other hand, he, he produced offensively. He hit 280 and 125 at bats with the Angels. Um, and, um, I, the Angels obviously are concerned about, uh, JB Shuck's offensive struggles and Colin Cowbill's really not all that. And even Raul Ibanez, he, uh, Ibanez has a lot of RBIs this, this past April, but he's hitting about 150. He actually has more RBIs than hits. So I, I think the Angels are auditioning Green to see how good he can be in left field. He's going to get a little bit of playing time there. His biggest strength is his versatility. He can play a little bit everywhere. The question is, is how much of a defensive hit uh, the Angels would be willing to take to get his bat into the lineup while uh, uh, Josh Hamilton and uh, Cole Calhoun are out. All right, Jock, thanks very much for helping us out again. We'll talk to you again in a week's time with more news from the American League. Okay, PD, we'll see you next Friday. Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com, and he covers the American League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Our regular weekly Talk with Todd comes up. Todd Zola next on Baseball HQ Radio. Playing fantasy baseball is about having fun, so have more fun more often with one-month fantasy game at ChandlerPark.com. One-month games offer the best of both worlds, the fast action and excitement of daily games, with the strategy and tactics of full-season formats. You draft your team using set salaries, all based on player performance. Then you set your roster twice a week, playing matchups in hot hands. Best of all, one bad month doesn't sink your whole season. And a fast start puts you in the money that much quicker. More fantasy fun, more often, 
with one month fantasy games at ShandlerPark.com. This is Ron Chandler. Entry deadline is May 4th for our May games at ShandlerPark.com with games starting at just nine bucks. Monthly fantasy baseball, more drafts, more pennant races, more fantasy fun more often. Give it a try. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio, the Friday News and Notes edition. I'm Patrick Davitt. you want to keep your eyes peeled this week at BaseballHQ.com for these features. Ron Chandler's Fanalytics column looks at the games we play. The new weekly in-depth Facts and Flukes Spotlight feature, Brent Hershey looks at Texas right-hander Martin Perez. And Dr. HQ Rick Wilton is back to look at injuries affecting Clayton Kershaw, Bryce Harper, and many others. Plus, we have all our regular features, daily analysis of playing time, performance validation and facts and flukes, our buyer's guides, division outlooks, pitcher matchups, call-up reports. There's so much more at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for our regular Friday Talk with Todd. And once again, a pleasure to be joined by Todd Zola, contributor to BaseballHQ.com. ESPN.com, FantasyAlarm.com, MastersBall.com, and others. Todd, welcome back to the show. Great to have you. Really nice to be back, Patrick. Looking forward to it every week. Todd, uh, you have a column coming up uh, on ESPN.com. Probably will be well up by the time uh, people are listening to this podcast on Friday afternoon. And uh, it's an interesting idea that you've come up with, as usual. And that is, you're looking at April. Right. Now I should be, be let you know it's for the Insider so yeah, you need to. It, it's, it is a, it is subscription. Uh, but what I did was, um, I take a look at Aprils compared to previous Aprils, in 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 terms of some statistics like home runs and steals, and run scoring and and uh, strikeouts for pitchers, and to get an idea how can April in general portend to the rest of the season, and then looked at this year's April to see if we could then get an idea of what's going to happen for the next five months and, you know, specifically how that in, impacts our, our fantasy managing, how, you know, how that affects our, affects our team, picking up players, you know, how we want to roster, what do we want to focus on uh, as far as roster management, at least for the next month, perhaps longer. I know you can't give away the store and explain in detail what you found out, but in general, what does this April look like compared to April's past? Uh, a couple things that I uh, that I found noteworthy was uh, home runs are are down, but run scoring is pretty stable. Actually, there's something very interesting with run scoring. I don't think it has anything necessarily to do with fantasy, but ERAs are down, but runs are are the same. There's more oh. unearned runs. There's been more errors so far, which is sort of odd because of the the defensive shifts. You you almost think that. You know, I wonder, you know, are these errors just flukes? Someone suggested to me that if you take out all the transfer rule errors, that it might be, uh, that it might equal out, which, you know, I'm not sure if that was tongue in cheek or heck, maybe yeah. it's true. But, uh, you know, ERAs are down again, still, especially for starting pitchers. Uh, strikeouts are way up. Uh, but strikeouts, they sort of have an inverse bell curve. Pitchers strike out more batters in April and May and then again in August and September. So you almost want to be more careful. The, the conclusion I drew with pitching anyway was you need to be more careful in the middle of the season with respect to your streamers. You want to stream now and at the end of the year because that's when either you know either your own pitcher is doing better 
well, there are other pitchers capable of, 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 of producing the higher strikeout numbers. Uh, so, you know, take advantage of it now. Take advantage of the streaming now. Uh, and as far as hitting goes, homers are down, which means uh, a power hitter, in theory, should have more impact on the standings because they're more bunched. It's not linear. All the standings places don't lose the right. same amount of homers. Uh, they It compresses a bit. So, you know, a power hitter could help you. You know, it depends on the standings and your distribution. But at least on paper, you can gain another point or two, perhaps, with a, uh, you know, by, with, with a power hitter, uh, than maybe in previous seasons, which is, uh, which is interesting. I wonder if the, uh, change in the errors count might be the result of people leaning on the official scores because somebody certainly should be leaning on official scores. It's amazing how often a ball will be what clearly looks like an error that a, a ball uh, that a fielder from an American Legion team should have been able to make. But if it's the home hitter, the score will give him a hit. I think maybe, and I think everything is under such discretion now. You can see, you know, half of the plays you can see on MLB.com posted, you know, uh, or you can, you can watch all the games now. I think there's just additional, not only are umpires under additional scrutiny, I mean, everything is known now. If, you know, if, if one of these plays occurs, Twitter's all over it. How can they give that guy a hit? Did you see that? So I think there's just so much more scrutiny now that, that maybe they are being held more accountable. Uh, you know, it just, to me, it was just kind of the, the contradiction, or not so much the contradiction, but the, uh, the contrast of, you know, defense being better, Babbitt being down a bit, uh, you know, defensive shifts being employed more, but yet there are more errors. You know, are, are players out of position? Are they occurring because they're out of position? Are they, you know, is it, is it, is, is the shift counterproductive? I think one month of data is a little, you know, not enough to, to make that decision, but at least, you know, it's, it was, it's out there and it's at least something to keep an eye on. And I then, I think then you got to start looking at the individual teams. Uh, is it, was it spread throughout the entire league or there are just a few teams because it's only one month's worth of data. And if it's a few teams, you know, that, you know, an error is kind of like a walk in that it increases pitch counts, uh, you know, all that sort of thing. So, you know, pitchers on that particular team, you might need to be ground rated if their defense, you know, not so much their ERA, but just in general. So I think it's at least something to, to chart from for May to see if it continues, or is it just a one-month fluke? Also, it puts a guy on base who may come around and score, which reduces your chances, however slightly, of getting a win if you're that pitcher. And you mentioned that definitely he's going to be throwing more pitches in that inning because he should have been walking off the mound and he's still standing out there. All of those things add up. I'm going to have Corey Schwartz on the show, I think, in uh, not in the next Tuesday Tout edition, but the one after. I believe the date would be May 13. I'll ask him about this whole business about errors and stuff. You also mentioned that uh, steals are up. This sounds like it could be the effect of a few guys stealing a lot of bases, couldn't it? Yeah, so far steals are up. Now, we did the, the study for baseball, baseball HQ that showed steals were down. We referenced it last week and that we've been corroborated by some major league teams saying that they're being more more uh, more discretionary uh, as far as when they're running. Uh, at least at least in, in April, you got Billy Hamilton and you got D. Gordon, you got Rajai Davis and you got Emilio Bonifacio. Right there was like 40 to 45 steals, and not that they would, you know, weren't guys last year stealing as well, but at least thus far, uh, the increase appears to be uh, related to uh, just a few players in flux into the league as opposed to 
a change in, in, in managerial tendencies, except in Detroit. And I, this is sort of part of the, part of the piece. Uh, there were five new managers, Detroit, the Cubs, and the, uh, is it the Dodgers? Uh, three teams with, uh, not, not the Dodgers, the Mattingly. Three teams had new managers and they were amongst the teams that are stealing more. And they're, you know, it's the one stat that you can sort of include team philosophy in. Uh, and I think you, you take Rajay Davis out of the equation and Detroit's still running more. It's Cincinnati was the other team because the interesting player with five steals so far is Jay Bruce. Um, and, you know, a guy, Bruce is a guy that, you know, got a, got a little speed but just didn't run much. You know, who knows if, if, the, if the philosophy of the team is to run a bit, if, you know, sometimes because Billy Hamilton's successful, it just kind of gets contagious. Who knows? Maybe Bruce is going to steal 17, 18 bases this year, and those, those five aren't a fluke, you know, sort of thing. And, and, and will that mean Brandon Phillips runs and that sort of thing? So I'm looking at guys on, uh, on Detroit to run a little bit more, Austin Jackson, uh, and even, and even Romine, the shortstop there. That's kind of his, what he can do. And the Cubs, Nate Sherholtz has a couple. Uh, so I'm looking at the teams with new managers that seem to be running early as targets for steals to, to sort of, you know, pump up those steals totals if necessary. Well, the top 10 Major League Baseball stolen base leaders have got almost 120 just amongst themselves, led by D. Gordon, as you mentioned. Ben Revere is another guy who's uh, running a little bit wild out there. So it, it is an interesting thing to watch, and we have to really be careful about charting trends and saying, oh, something's happening in April, ergo it's going to happen all year, because it doesn't always happen that way. It's pretty interesting. I'd like to raise something else, Todd, with you about April, and that is Ron Chandler wrote a column, uh, I don't know if it was at BaseballHQ.com or at ChandlerPark.com, but the gist of it was this. If you're in most leagues and you're not in the top five by the end of April, your chance of winning your league drops down to barely 20%. And I'm wondering, first of all, it sounds like a challenge and the gauntlet is thrown down, but what do you think of that assertion? You know, my first thought is, you know, well, you know, because I'm, I'm not in the top five of a lot of my leagues and I'm not giving up either. You know, it, it's, you know, that, that, that's crap. There's no way. I, I've, I've been in, you know, the second half of the standings before and won leagues before. Well, you know, 20% do. So once you get over the, you know, the ego and the, you know, I'm better than that thing, you got to say to yourself, well, you know what? You know, the odds are against me. What do I need to do to get in, you know, to be one of the, you know, one of the five that, that defies the odds in places that, that, that you know, that, that comes in the money or, or, or even wins the league. So I do think you need to pay attention to it. I mean, numbers are numbers. It's, it's, it's fact. There's a reason for it, but it's, it's not quite, you know, it's not quite like the dumb and dumber. So you're saying I have a chance. I mean, 20%, you know, it's not a good chance. But it's not a, you know, it's it's not, you know, a, you know, dart throw either. It, it, you know, you can, you need to, you need to think about it though. And what do I need to do to get into that twenty percent? Uh, so, you know, I, I've actually gone through my teams and because it's the end of May and or end of, it's beginning of May and all right, well, this team I need to be patient. Oh no, no, this team I may need to make some moves on this team. You know, so I've actually kind of gone through them and kind of come up with a game plan how to get myself into that. Uh, into the winner's bracket if I'm not already in the top three. I think that's right, and a lot of it, of course, depends on you look at your team on May 1st, and you and you have to, especially in, in rotisserie formats, you have to look at the standings and say, I'm dead 
in this particular category. So what does that mean for my roster and for my management as the season progresses? And of course, the best examples are usually saves and steals where you say either I'm going to have a surplus or I'm going to have a uh, surfeit and I'm not going to be able to make up that difference because of how far behind I already am. And we have to assume that even if you just prorate your standings out to the end of the season, if you're uh, 10 stolen bases behind the next guy in front of you, uh, with two points and you've got one, that means you're going to be 60 behind by the end if everything proceeds apace. And that means you're not going to make up that difference unless you can somehow trade for Billy Hamilton and D. Gordon and Eric Young and Ben Revere because everybody else is moving while you're moving. And so the roster management question becomes not so much where am I, but where am I going to be and how much, how big are the gaps that exists for me to catch up to anybody. And a corollary to that, I'm sorry for going on so long, but a corollary to that is how many teams are between me and where I need to be and how many of them are jockeying around in the categories such that if I manage to figure out a trade to pick up enough steals to move six points in the category, am I trading away power to somebody who's going to go by me in that category as well and cause me to just drop back as much as I'm gaining somewhere else? Yeah, sure. I think we're a little early for that, but I mean, it's always part of the, uh, part of the process. What I, you know, when I look at it, and I think the point you made as far as, you know, how many teams are in front of you, you might be, you know, eighth place in a 12th team team, you know, on May 1st. So you go by Ron's dictum and, uh oh, I'm in trouble. But yesterday I may have been in third because just some of the categories are still so close, you know, tightly volatile yeah if you had three pitchers going and got 17 or 20 k's that day and a couple wins you're up and if you know someone else does it the next day you're back down again so that's the first you know the, the standards are still very very volatile so i don't get too goofy if you know if, if my team you know yesterday was in fourth and today is in seventh and therefore i'm you know out of the out of the top five but there are some teams you know, have to be realistic about it you know aren't doing that they you know they're they're struggling either because of injuries or just, you know, you pick, you know, your, what you thought would happen hasn't happened yet. Uh, you know, so, you know, you, you might have to make some moves, but, um, I don't worry necessarily just yet about the defensive, uh, moves that comes to me anyway it becomes more important because, you know, we're still at the point where, you know, you make a move, someone else makes a move and it's over with and not so much over with, but it's countered. Uh, it's harder to counter moves later in the season. But, um, yeah, it's, it's May. It's time to start paying attention. Standing still, the other thing I like to look at is the top-to-bottom spread, especially if you look at the ratios. Standings haven't stabilized yet. Take a look at the hitting, the batting average, and the pitching with the ERA and the whip. And take a look at the first and last place teams. They're still uh, more widespread than they'll be come October. Uh, you know, every day they get a little bit tighter. But so long as that's still the case, to me, there's still a lot of volatility within the standings. So until, and that this issue usually happens until towards the end of May, when the first and last place teams ERAs and WHIPs resemble that at the end of the year. Um, so we're still at the point where a lot of movement can occur on a daily basis. And a lot of there's a lot of movement potential in the longer term in those ratio categories as well. And it has to do with what you said. The denominator of the ratio is still relatively small, which means small movements in the numerator cause big 
changes in the ratio. And as that denominator starts to increase, as you start to add innings pitched and add uh, at bats or plate appearances, depending on your scoring system, then as you said, those ratios can't help but stabilize. So does that mean, Todd, that now's the time to make the move? It could, uh, or it is now. I mean, there's other factors as well. Um, sort of hedging back to the ESPN piece, strikeouts are up in April and May, and they're up in August and September. They're a little bit down in June and July. So to me, that tells me you need to be a little more careful how you're streaming your pitchers in the middle of the season. So you may want to take advantage of that now and, and, and make your, do, do some streaming now, then back off a little bit and stream again at the end, uh, stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, to me anyway, because the free agent pool in general is so much more plush now than later in the season, I, I don't think you can get complacent. I think you need to be proactive now, even if it's just replacing a reserve. Everybody's, you know, right now people are replacing Mark Trumbo there's probably still a fairly decent player available, at least in a mixed league, to backfill just a little bit. If someone loses, you know, if, if, if Edwin Arcarcion goes down in, you know, in June or July, you know, injuries evened out, right? We both lost a power hitter. But you know what? My replacement was a little better than your replacement if I lost Trumbo now. So, uh, and which is another reason sort of to, to keep hanging in there if your team isn't doing so well. Because the teams ahead of you probably haven't had that injury yet either. Uh, so, um, yeah, but now I think it's, you know, now's the time, but it's always the time you, you always should be looking to improve no matter what. I think there's something to look at also when you're t- assessing where you are in your league, having to do with the shape of the position that you're in. And what I mean by that is you could be a team with 64 points in a, in a four by four format where you were eight points across the board. You had eight points in all eight categories. Or you could be a team that had 64 points, four twelves, and four fours. You could have a team made up of extremes or a team that's right in the middle. Which would you rather be? Uh, I think I would rather. I think I would rather be the ex- extremes because there's more. I think. Well, I, this, I mean, I guess you can go up in either in, in, in either situation. I don't know that I want my pitching to be the ones at this point. Although there's a lot of upward movement. What I look to do with this, I'd like to have. My pitching, I want to have my pitching hang in there at this point of the season. I don't want my ERA and whip to be, to be blown up yet. Cause you can always, you know, you continue to get the, you know, you manage your team, you have the more at bats, you continue to get the counting stats. Uh, so sort of my goal, and that's what I, you know, when I look through my teams to see how we're doing, which of the teams, you know, is the pitching doing okay? And, you know, I just need to get better at the hitting or is the, you know, in my, do my pitchers, you know, are they just flailing away? Cause at some point, you know, you, you talked about the decision with steals and with, with saves. At some point, you make the decision with ERA and whip. Do I just, you know, forget about them and, and just go for wins and Ks? Or do I forget about wins and Ks and protect my whip? Or do I just try to, you know, play everything straight? Not near that point yet, but, you know, at some point, that's the sort of the decision. You know, my teams where my pitching is still hanging in there, uh, you know, now it's, okay, what do I need to do on offense? Where are my dead spots? You know, is it worth, you know, you know, focusing on, you know, steals or home runs or whatever to, to make, you know, to, to get the offense where it should be. 
You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola, our weekly talk with Todd on our Friday News and Notes edition. And Todd, let's close with a discussion that Steve Gardner, a mutual friend at usatoday.com, the senior fantasy editor there, he has a, a column out now on the site that starts off talking about one topic and then segues into what I think is a more interesting topic, and that is, what makes an expert? And the key question in that is, do you have to win the games in order to really be expert at them. I don't like the word expert, but I understand it's part of what we do, so I have to, you know, at this point have accepted it. But I think you can be an expert at playing and I think you can be an expert at disseminating advice. And I think that there is a difference. And I think that's what's sort of overlooked or or or, or not appreciated or just perhaps naive by some people out there that are really good at playing and therefore, you know, you know, kind of poo-poo the in quotes so-called experts, which I, I think I hate the word so-called more than I hate the word experts. Um, <laughs> the so-called experts, right. they poo-poo those because they may not, you know, they, they're not as successful. It doesn't mean that you're not very adept at giving out advice or providing them with the information they need to, you know, to build their team, to manage your team, you know, to win their league. Uh, I think you do need to play. I think you need to be familiar with the format, and I think you need to play well. But I don't know that you need to win every single league uh, in order, you know, to be qualified to, you know, give advice on on how, how other people should do it. I think you need to more than dabble, but you don't need to dominate. Whatever that D word is, is in between. Yeah, what could that D word be? Um, do okay. Yeah, do do okay. Do, yeah, something else. Yeah, yeah. You need to be competitive, and. um you know, one of the things that bugs me about these these mocks that we do at the beginning of the year in the magazines, and you know, I, my brother and you know, we're we're a family, but there's some people that do the, you know, they they do a mock and it's done, and you know, they have no idea um, had they played it out or what would have happened, and they do the same things year after year, and you know, maybe it sounds elitist, but I play enough leagues to know that you know <laughs> he wouldn't have done well, and year after year that wouldn't have worked, um, but it just doesn't get played out. Um, but yeah, that's somewhat beside the point, but, you know, circling to Steve's column a little bit. The other thing, you know, there's so many different formats now. And I think, you know, one of my personal issues as far as, uh, playing the game to my peak is I, I try to do too much. I think I play the, the standard roto and do the high stakes. And then I also have been into the, the daily lately. And I don't know if it's spreading my, uh, I don't use myself in thin very often in the same sentence. <laughs> But I don't know if I'm spreading myself either, too yeah. thin. And, you know, if you try to do too much, you don't do anything to the to its best capability. But circling back to the whole information thing, I think my first, you know, now that I'm doing this for a living, I think my first responsibility is to be the best information provider. Yeah, that's a really fair point. I mean, people are doing things in fantasy baseball or fantasy gaming in general that are sometimes at odds with each other. There's only so many hours in a day. There's so many, we have other things we have to look at jobs in some cases, family and so forth. And it's a, it's a different matter that when you look at it from the outside, you say, well, you're, you say that you're an expert on this and that I should listen to your advice, but you've never won tell wars. And I'll say, yeah, I, I never have won tell wars, but that then comes to what do you 
how do we define success? What does it mean to be good at the game? And I'll give you an example. Last year in Tell Wars, I was way down at the back and I made a bunch of trades. I hustled, I moved my pitchers back and forth and I ended up, I was fourth with my maybe five days to go and then a few things fell apart. I finished seventh. But I thought I had a hell of a year. I had injuries. I, I lost guys early. I thought I had a hell of a year and played it as well as it could be played. And from that point of view, I think somebody looking at what I did should say, wow, that guy seems to know what he's doing in difficult situations. Maybe I'll listen to him. He didn't win the league. But then there are lots of guys who win leagues that can't dispense advice because they're not you know, articulate or they're not really good at communicating about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the other thing about competing in those leagues is if you get a league full of 15 experts, 14 of them aren't going to win. Every year, 14 of them are not going to win. Now you're going to get guys like Schechter and Fred Zinke who win more than their share, and maybe that makes them more listenable too. I don't know, but the fact is winning the league is not the only measure of successful gameplay. Right. I think, yeah, that has to do with it. And I also, like, I, the analogy is not perfect, but I kind of look at it almost like, you know, I'm not a NASCAR fan, so to speak, but I kind of look at it, you know, they're, they got a crew that builds the car, they got a crew that keeps the car up, and then they got the driver. Um, you know, I, you know, the driver could be the guy, you know, it could be the, the guy that goes out there and actually plays the fantasy games. Uh, he may not be able to build the car, he may not know how to, you know, keep it up or change the tires, but he's one heck of a driver. Um, the other hand, you know, I, I don't know that I want some of the guys that build the car behind the wheel either. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not perfect, but there's, there's, it, there's a lot that goes into, you know, winning a fantasy team and, you know, the information disseminated, it's got to come from somewhere. And whether or not, you know, whether or not you are, a, a, you know, a Ron Chandler disciple, for instance, whoever you're listening to probably was, you know, whether or not you, you know, follow you know a particular website doesn't have to be baseball hq any chances are somebody does so a lot of the times when these people are out there you know downplaying you know an expert because they like this guy instead well you know what <laughs> guess where he got that information from so you know there's like a pyramid and it all it all you know cycles back to the to you know to to some people that you know sort of set the standard as it were uh and again i mean I like to play the games. I feel that I can handle and you know, hold my own. Sometimes I feel that if I didn't, wasn't in the business of giving out information and only was able to, you know, in my own little world, did the same stuff, producing the same projections, but instead of, of spending time trying to explain to my customers how to download them, if I took the time to actually assimilate the data on my own, I'd probably have better success in some of these leagues I play in. But once you sort of cross the line into it's a job, you sort of, you know, you give that up. I mean, you, you, you give up your secrets too. If I, if I hold back and don't give out a player I like or, or vice versa, I'm not doing my job. And that's not fair to people. If they're giving me money or a company's paying me money, it's, it's not fair if I do that sort of thing. So it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a line you gotta cross, but I, you know, we have to do it. That's a, that's a really good point. And I, I just want to expand on it a bit by saying, 
um, again, returning to this idea of we can't all win our experts leagues, most of us are really, really successful in our home leagues where we're not playing against 12 or 14 or 18 other experts, where we're playing against regular guys. And the promise that we're making, the value proposition we're making to people who read our advice isn't you're going to be able to use this advice and come and beat other experts. It is you're going to be able to use this advice and beat the guys you're playing with that you went to college with. And in your in your regular league or, or your beer league uh, softball buddies or whatever the case might be. And from that point of view, I think we are all quite successful. I know I'm in my home league. I have good teams. I have bad teams from year to year. But I'm always near the money or in the money all every year. And I'm not bragging about it. It's It's not a huge accomplishment or anything. But the fact is that people who read what I have to say about fantasy baseball are trying to get an edge on their competitors in their leagues, not on their competitors in Tout Wars. Yeah, I've actually, because I do so much other stuff, I've had a cut way back on my home leagues, and now I only have, I think, one league that I'll actually consider a true a true home league at this point. And I haven't won it yet, and a lot of it is, I think, has to do with time. Well, it's a keeper league, which has, you know, sort of kind of, yeah. you know, things are always a little bit different in a keeper league. But I, I think it goes back to the whole idea about time where where other people are perusing the league's rosters and figuring out the best team to make a trade with to help their team. You know, I'm uh, you know, I'm I'm talking to you or I'm writing an article for ESPN or we all have our jobs, but when you're I found when the job overlaps the hobby, uh you just I'm spending less time on my own on my own teams, you know, actually it's kind of funny. Last week I mentioned that we talked about fab and how I'll never let fab get in the way. And I got about four offers from that league this week. And I think as a joke, they all, you know, did a trade and said, and, and, and you give me $2 worth of fab, which means people are listening, which is good. But I got, I kind of got a kick out of that. Uh, just a couple more thoughts about uh, being an advisor or a tout or an expert or whatever you want to call it. Uh, another thing that comes to my mind is, I kind of look at fantasy baseball ever since I got into it as a pursuit that allows me to think about something in detail. And as a result, sometimes I come up with an idea or I read about an idea or <laughs> so forth on BaseballHQ.com or one of those uh, other dispensers of advice type websites. And I think about it and I mull it over and, and especially if I write about it, once I'm, once I'm done, I kind of forget about it. I don't actually follow my own advice very well. And I know from talking to people who have read the stuff I've written over the years or, or the stuff that has appeared at baseballhq.com, a lot of times the guys who are reading it and playing the games assimilate the information and apply it a lot better than I do. Right. I think there's, I think, well, I think, yes, I think that, that there's no doubt that it's, I feel the same way about what I do. I think to, 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 I don't want to use the word to our credit, but I think that a lot of it too becomes intuitive for us. And unfortunately I think that, it might not be enough. It might be 80% there and we're missing out on that 20% by not taking the time to, you know, to put pen to paper and relying on our memory and our, our lying on our gut feel, so to speak. But I mean, I think part of it is, you know, you might not be using that process explicitly, but you know, in the back of your mind, some, you know, it's still there because uh, that's just sort of how you play the game. I know that way I write some stuff about how to assign uh, numbers to pitchers one two three four five and you draft your staff based on tiers and you want the end result to be a certain number i don't ever or i no longer track that number but i'll bet you at the end of the draft 
if you were to add it up, I'd be right on the number as I Absolutely. wrote the piece about, just because I've been doing it so long, it's now become just intuition, so to speak. But yeah, I think it's perfectly right. I mean, just, I can't tell you how many, you know, idea, not so much ideas, but thoughts I might have about a player. I may, I may have a certain feel about a player and I'll read something else and I'll make a note or I, I actually don't make the note. And when I sit down at the table in March and I'm no longer a, uh, I'm no longer in the business. I'm now myself just drafting. I'll completely have forgotten, you know, something that I, you know, found out two or three weeks ago where somebody else would have written it down, put it in an Excel spreadsheet, you know, put it into their drafting software or whatever. To me, it's just, oh, I'll remember that. And by the time comes, I just completely forgot about it. And to, to combine the two ideas about how this is a, a, a thinking exercise rather than an acting exercise for people in the business, um, a lot of uh, people who play out there and read what, what we do sometimes miss a, a very important point about it. We get paid to do this, which means that once we write something, we got to start thinking about the next week's column. We got to start thinking about the new idea because everybody's already assimilated the old idea. Chandler can't write about the Lima plan anymore. Everybody knows it. You know, we can't write uh, about uh, batting average on balls in play or, or hit rate because everybody knows it. Unless unless you've got some kind of new angle on it, which makes it tough. And you mentioned uh, something about uh, not wanting the, the uh, guy changing the tire to be driving the car for a NASCAR team. I was thinking about the guys, I used to be in the politics business, and there are a lot of people behind the scenes who are really, really good at politics but couldn't get elected dog catcher for a variety of personality reasons or charisma-lacking reasons and so forth. Right, and I think, I mean, we've all played sports, you know, at some level growing up, and there, you know, there are some coaches that weren't very good players. You know, some of the best, even pro managers, you know. You know, Terry Francona wasn't the best player, but he's a pretty good manager. So I think that, you know, there's something to be said for that. I mean, you can be, you know, back to the word expert, you could be you're an expert on pitching. You can really identify, you know, what pitchers are going to, you know, emerge and who's not going to emerge and whose ERA is real. But that's only part of fantasy baseball. You know, if, I, if, I'm, a, if I'm playing the game, I want to go to that person to help plan my pitching staff, but I may want to go to somebody else for hitting, and I may want to go to a third person for just thinking about overall roster dynamics. And, you know, so there, you could be an expert, you could have expertise in a certain element. And, you know, and then your expertise could be in constructing and managing a team, and you're going to be the one that gets the credit. You're going to be, you know, you're the one, you know, whereas you, you know, assimilated the expertise of others to your advantage, and then, you know, you went out and, and, and beat and won your league. So I think that's sort of what people are forgetting out there, too, is, you know, there's more, you know, the expert doesn't necessarily mean the best player. You can have, in, you know, individual expertise within, the, you know, the, the dissemination of the information that I think some people aren't given enough credit for. Yeah, I, when you were talking just now, I, I thought about golf coaches. There's a million guys coaching golf or, uh, who are extremely good and well-paid golf coaches who couldn't possibly win a golf tournament. Um, Tiger Woods has had golf coaches. I, I don't know any of their names. It's kind of buzzing around in my head. But I do know this. Not one of them was a PGA pro. Not one of them ever won a Grand Slam event. And yet they're extremely effective. And I think maybe that's the lesson here for the for the people who are listening is don't automatically assume that because a guy is successful in winning leagues that he's going to be successful in advising you how to win your league. There's a, they're, they're two different pursuits, as you said. 
Right, and vice versa. But but you're I mean, you know, you know, and, and I'll you know, I'll I guess I'm use the word, you know, calling out some of my high stakes brethren that, you know, we don't care about what Zola says, he doesn't win the main event. We don't care what so and so says. What I want to know is what, what Jupinka says or or what Sean Childs or Lindy Hinkleman say. Well, nothing, you know, I'm friends with all those guys, and I want to hear what they have to say, too. But, um, you know, because they're winning, or even, you know, tickets to another extent, because you can afford $20,000 to play in the Platinum NFBC doesn't make you a better player. It means, God bless you, you're very successful and have a great job and have the disposable money and, and a family that allows you to do it, and you know, I applaud you for that. It doesn't make you a better player because you've got the 20k to to try to win 200k, and there's, you know... People out there might believe that. I think other people, I think that's a minority. But I think there is a certain, uh, in the high stakes arena anyway, a certain feel that money equals better. And even in the daily game, there's a certain feel that the, the more money you win, the better. But without getting into too many details, it's sort of a different topic. But it may just have to be you may have a better bankroll. And you don't know baseball as much as you do know how to manage your bankroll. And, uh, you know, so make the better successful in the daily game. Not that they don't know the game, too. But there's other elements as as well that's uh that goes beyond just being the better player. And certainly they couldn't take up 35 minutes of uh, podcast time just rapping about uh, how this works, which <laughs> we've done today, and it's been fun as always. Todd, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, we'll catch up with you again next week. Always, as always, looking forward to it. Todd Zola writes for BaseballHQ.com, FantasyAlarm.com, MastersBall.com, ESPN.com. He's got a new column up in the Insider section there. And to our great joy, he appears every Friday here on Baseball HQ Radio. Our Baseball HQ commentaries are coming up. Stay with us for pitcher matchups and master notes here on Baseball HQ Radio. And the pitch. Swung on in a high drive center field. Jones is going back. He turns. He looks. And that ball is history. Josh Hamilton has hit his fourth home run of the ball game. All of them two-run shots. Eight RBIs for Hamilton. And four home runs. Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for a regular Friday Baseball HQ commentaries. We lead off this inning with our pitcher matchup segment. Remember how this works. Our BaseballHQ.com crack staff has looked at the pitchers pitching against each other this weekend and created matchup ratings running from plus 5 to minus 5. We recommend pitchers with matchup ratings of 2.0 or higher and issue warnings about pitchers whose ratings are 0 or worse. Everything in between is considered a risk versus benefit play. Now looking at Dallas Kuchel of the Astros at home to Hisashi Iwakuma and the Mariners, Cole Hamels of the Phillies hosting Gio Gonzalez and the Nationals, and more, here's Greg Fishwick. May is a big month for the Baseball HQ Pitcher Matchups tool. After April, we flipped the switch from relying on the past season to the current season. So let's take a quick look back at how we did in April. Pitchers we recommended were twice as likely to have PQS dominant starts as pitchers we warned about. And pitchers we warned about were twice as likely to have PQS disaster starts as those we recommended. That small sample reflects the findings reported in the long-term large sample research article you can link to from the Pitcher Matchups tool. This weekend we have some under-the-radar recommendations and some surprise warnings. Let's begin with one of 2014's early season surprises, Dallas Kuchel. 
Dallas is at home in Houston with a matchup rating of 233. His Saturday Seattle opponent is Hisashi Iwakuma, who comes in with a matchup rating of minus 130. Kuchel has four straight PQS five starts, while Iwakuma is making his first start of the season. In Saturday's Detroit at Kansas City game, the pitchers have mirror image matchup ratings. You might not have expected the Royals soft-tossing Bruce Chen to have the 2-0, and the Tigers' young stud Drew Smiley to have the minus 2-0. But Smiley hasn't started as often as Chen in 2014. Sunday's surprises are two big-name starters with negative matchup ratings. Since returning from a sore shoulder, Philadelphia's Cole Hamels has run the gamut. He followed his first start PQS 5 with a PQS 0. Hamels is at home on the wrong side of another mirror image matchup rating. Washington's Gio Gonzalez has the 4-0 hammer, and Hamels has the lowest matchup rating of the weekend at minus 4-0. Madison Bumgarner began the season with two PQS 4 outings for the Giants, but he's stumbled since then with PQS scores of 0, 3, and 2. Bumgarner is on the road against Atlanta's Alex Wood. Alex has a matchup rating of 186, but Madison's is a bummer at minus 067. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com. Attention streaming league and salary cap gamers, play in that monthly league. You want to look for an edge in managing your starting pitchers and choosing who starts and who sits? Well, BaseballHQ.com has full starting pitcher matchup reports every day and the exclusive Baseball HQ matchup tool to help you make those critical choices about which pitchers are going to play for you. Now it's time for Master Notes, a weekly comment on baseball and fantasy baseball. I'm up in the rotation this week, mostly because you just haven't heard enough of my voice on this show. And I want to talk to you about body types and injuries. Not long ago on an edition of the Baseball HQ Radio podcast, the subject of player injury came up. Of course, anyone who plays our game is concerned about how to manage player health, and it would be a pretty significant advantage to know how we could avoid players who are at higher risk of injuries, especially among our top round or top dollar picks. The idea came up that maybe we should be trying to look at players by their body type, Anecdotally, it seemed that players like Alfonso Soriano, who was once described as a wiry bundle of fast-twitch muscle, those guys seldom miss a lot of time. You know the type, Ken Griffey Jr., Derek Jeter, even Barry Bonds, who was what our dads called rangy before his hat size started catching up with his uniform number. They all seemed to be on the field every day. Meanwhile, the stockier, more overtly muscular players like Josh Hamilton, Travis Hafner, Mark Teixeira, Carlos Quentin, Kevin Euclid, those guys seem to be on the DL, or in the OR, more often than they were on the 25-man roster. Well, I think there's something to this. But at BaseballHQ.com, we just don't think there's something to things. We try to check it out. So I went to BaseballReference.com to look at all the hitters in the free agent era, that's 1975 to 2013, who had averaged at least 500 plate appearances per season over careers that lasted at least 14 years. As you might suspect, it's a short list. Only 82 batters rang up enough plate appearances to qualify, and they were led, you won't be surprised to hear, by Ichiro Suzuki, who has his picture in the dictionary next to Wiry. I also used the baseball reference data to divide each hitter's listed weight in pounds by his height in inches. 
The average was about 2.6 pounds per inch, coincidentally exactly one-tenth the benchmark for a decent kosher salami. And guess what? Only 15 of those 82 durable hitters on the list were 10% or more beefy than the average. And only three of them, Carlos Lee, Albert Pujols, and Dave Parker, were above 3.0 pounds per inch of height. Lee, in fact, was the heaviest guy on the entire list at 6'2", 270, checking in at a svelte 3.6 pounds to the inch. Other weighty guys among the PA leaders included Vladimir Guerrero, Todd Helton, Adrian Beltre, and Scott Rowland, each of whom has had injury issues throughout his career. Now, to be fair, some of the other heavy guys like Paul Canerco, Frank Thomas, Manny Ramirez, and Miguel Tejada were very durable, while leaner guys like Harold Baines, Paul Molitor, and Andre Dawson were often affected by injury. But at a glance, I can tell you that the leaner, more wiry hitters just didn't jump off the page as being particularly injury-prone. Before I declared victory, though, I thought I'd do a second check, looking at hitters in just the last five years. And instead of their average plate appearances per season, I wanted to find hitters who had at least 500 plate appearances in all their seasons, the very definition of durability. Only 31 hitters met that mark. The first thing I noticed is that all the players had higher weight-to-height ratios than in the longer test across more and earlier years. Durable hitters now average 2.9 pounds per inch, well up from the 2.7 in the earlier test. But the percentage of hitters who were 10% or more above that weight-height average stayed pretty constant, at around 13% in the later test versus about 18% in the earlier one. The four heavier hitters on the consistently durable list checked in at or above 3.2 pounds per inch. Prince Fielder, who's about three vegan platters short of clearing or maybe crushing the 4.0 standard. Matt Holliday and Billy Butler, also 3.3. And of all people, Alberto Cayaspo, also 3.3 pounds per inch. And who to thunk it? So it appears that in addition to all the other metrics we need to watch in our roster management practices, we should add some measure of body type. Right now, I'm not confident that the BaseballReference.com height and weight data are accurate enough. After all, our weight generally increases as we age, and believe me, this I know, so the baseball reference data are necessarily a compromise, especially for players who've had relatively long careers. Just for example, how about Barry Bonds? He's listed at 6'1", 185 and that seems a trifle short of his weight in the latter part of his career in San Francisco when he was chasing the home run record and his king-sized noggin probably went a buck twenty all by itself. Also, the official height and weight stats are not actually measured. The stats providers are taking the player's word for it, or the team's word for it, or somebody's word for it, but as yet there are no mandatory public weigh-ins or height measurements that we can rely on. For all the imprecision, though, this feels like an area where further research could pay off. At the very least, I know I'll be watching next season for the Ichiro and Soriano-type builds. Oh, by the way, I didn't look at pitchers. I already know the leading cause of their injuries, me drafting them in tout wars. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt of BaseballHQ.com. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox every Friday in the weekly free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, we also have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. 
And that's Baseball HQ Radio, the Friday News and Notes edition for May the 2nd. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 30 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our League Watch news analysts were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our regular Friday talk with Todd correspondent was Todd Zola. Our HQ matchups commentator was Greg Fishwick. I'm Patrick Davitt. A follow-up to my research report on saves and teams, looking at how individual closers affect the results, will be on the site shortly. And of course, I always look forward to talking with you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed, at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed, at Patrick Davitt. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again in four short days with our Tuesday Tout Edition, featuring multiple experts, league champion, and fantasy baseball legal expert, Glenn Colton. That's the next edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.